too long. Leaves are starting to change and everything, but won't be too long, and you'll be changing clocks backwards and Christmas wrapping and shopping and all that stuff. So, yeah, y'all don't like that, do you? Right? <laughs> but uh, this morning, a couple quick announcements. Um, October the 20th, we're having a sort of a Witness Wednesday out, uh, outreach. We've got some food boxes from our food pantry of things that got to get gone, that date's getting close to it. And so we, we've put together some bags and stuff. So on the 20th there from 10 to 12, if you know anyone in the community, and, and it's out on our, our, on our sign as well, um, that is in need of some food bags or sort of food pantry stuff, uh, from 10 to 12 we'll have a spot where they can drive up. We can give it to them. We're going to pray for them and give them some, some tracks and everything, try to reach out to them. And as well, um, if you need to help or got questions about it, see me or Sharon. We can uh, get you hooked up for that. Uh, then, of course, uh, coming up, it is the month, October the 29th, Friday night, 6.30, our fabulous Femi Fall Fling Ding and Chili Cook-Off, where we're going to have... All right. Hey, the three of you that got it, got it. Praise the Lord, somebody got it. That's what I'm talking about. Fun, 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 too. We're done, done, done. Y'all sounded not quite as enthused, but you, you at least got it. It's a tongue twister. But that even is going to be a great time. We're going to have some games for kids, some little goodie bags for kids that come with some candy and stuff. Um, we'll have, of course, the chili, so bring chili, but if you don't like chili, you don't want chili, bring something else and share, all right? Dessert, side dishes, whatever you want to bring, okay? And uh, we'll, ha- we'll have a good time. And as well, too, we are looking at and praying about a pumpkin pie eating contest in this thing, all right? So if you like pumpkin pie and you like contests, this might be, might be the one for you. I've already got one who's, who's kind of signed up and said, now I'll tell you, it's a she. She said, no matter who steps up against her, she's going to win. All right? It's, it's not me. It's not Cammie, by the way. All right? So I, I, we're not the she's. But the challenge has been given. All right? So we're going to have a pumpkin pie contest when it comes time. By the way, that does not mean fork and spoon. It's going to be All right? That's right. So, this, so think about that a little bit. We'll even give you a little trash bag poncho and stuff. But we'll have some door prizes and things. But if you want to have a good time, come. All right? I promise you. Bring a friend or two and... and uh, and we'll have a good time with it. But then on October 31st, it'll be just a couple days after that, um, is uh, Lord's Supper service. We're going to have, note, please note the earlier time at 6 o'clock. We want to do so so we can have a focus of the Lord's Supper that evening. But as well, we know that there will be some who will want to go trick-or-treating with their kids, or grandkids, and things like that, or pass out candy. Also reminds me, too, out on our track rack, out here at the double doors here, we've got some fall tracks. We've got 400 of them, so take as many as you want. If you want to take them, and put them in, uh, put them in track uh, or little bags with candy for trick-or-treaters or neighbors or, or just for this fall season to give out to folks. I encourage you to get That's what we got them for. They're a great, simple little track, and it gives the gospel, so we want to have that out there. But be praying for these things, be planning and uh, preparing. But uh, I'm thankful for what God's doing, and I'm thankful for what He's going to do. But let's uh, open up in prayer this morning and ask God to help us. We're, we've gathered here to worship the Lord, and so I hope that's where your heart is. And uh, let's pray as well that God would meet with us today and give us what we need from his word. Uh, Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this morning that we can gather, we can worship you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, strengthen our hearts today. God, that you would guide and direct us. Lord, that everything that we say and do today, everything that's sung and preached today, everything that's spoken even to one another, God, would bring you glory and honor, would draw us in closer fellowship to one another and to you. Lord, we do pray for these upcoming events and things. God, that you would uh, just bless it, keep your hands upon it, and Lord, that that we would be able to outreach this community, that we would have a heart for revival, a heart for, for reaching souls and, and making disciples. I pray, God, that you would help us today as your word is open, and Lord, that you would uh, give us exactly what we need today. Lord, I pray that you would um, clear our, our thoughts and our hearts today, Lord, that we 
uh, might see you today. We love you. We thank you for this time, and we give it over to you now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Please stand if you're able, and we will sing It Is Well With My Soul, hymn number 705. It is well with my soul. To the tune of Hallelujah, What a Savior, hymn number 311, Hallelujah, What a Savior. Savior we have. I know whom I have believed. Him number five.
27. I know whom I have believed. somebody in front of you, back of you, left and right, <laughs> give them a nice smile, make everyone feel welcome, amen, okay, we have some special music now, there are Brother Larry Davis and Wayne Ross, we appreciate them singing, Lord bless y'all, I always look forward to hearing what God's give you guys. I've got a story I'd like to share. It won't take but a minute about this song. Uh, came up on my morning devotions one morning, and uh, I thought it was real interesting if I can find it. <laughs> um, a storm can inspire <coughs> fear, can also inspire a famous hymn. In 1885, a Swedish minister, Carl Boberg, wrote and published a poem, O Store Gud, or in English, O Great God. The poem was set to music, but remained relatively obscure. And in the early 20s, English missionary Stuart Hine, who served in Poland, heard the Russian version of Boberg's poem sung to a Swedish melody and was moved by the poem. And while he was ministering in the rugged and beautiful Carpathian Mountains, he was inspired to modify and expand the words of the poem in English and to make his own arrangement of the melody. The result was, How Great Thou Art. Hine composed the first verse when he was caught in a thunderstorm in a Carpathian village. He wrote the second and third verse soon after but didn't add the fourth until 1948. When he was back in England, a year later, Hine published the hymn in his own Russian gospel magazine, Grace and Peace, 
which was circulated among refugees in 15 countries. British missionaries began to spread the song to former British colonies in Africa and India. It also found its way to the United States, where it was officially copyrighted, published, and recorded. Within five years of its appearance in a single magazine, How Great Thou Art, was one of the most popular hymns in the world. All because a missionary saw God's glory in a thunderstorm. God is the creator of thunderstorms, but he's also our shelter from the storm. How great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation to take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I will bow in humble adoration and there. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to
great our God is. Amazingly great. Beyond my comprehension. Join with me in prayer, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer and talk to our great God and pray that God would touch our hearts, speak to our hearts, and challenge us from his word today. Pray with me. In Jesus' name, oh Lord, we come to you. Humbly, we bow down before you, Lord, acknowledging how great thou art. Thou art a mighty God, a great God, a good God, a holy God, and a God of mercy and grace. Lord, we praise you for all that you are this morning. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Holy art thou. Lord, we ask, Lord, you meet with us. At least you meet with us, Lord, this is all in vain. And we pray, Lord, that you would come down and be in our midst and our presence and magnify your presence with us this morning. And, Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, touch our pastor and, Lord, give him a fresh anointing, give him clarity of speech and thought as he preaches your glorious word, your great word. Lord, help him, Lord. Bless him. Lord, bless, uh, Lord, each and every one that's here. Lord, uh, challenge us. Lord, convict us where, where we have sin, Lord. Lord, encourage us where we are discouraged. Heal where we're sick. And just bless, Lord, and we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory for everything accomplished here today. For we meet and we pray and we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Please stand as we sing to God be the glory. If you're able, please stand. Hymn number 56, To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. To God be the glory. Great things he Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear it. 
people said, amen, you may be seated. And now give our pastor a great big hand. He's going to come preach the word of God. The word of God. Thank you, pastor, for doing that. Appreciate it. Thank you all those who sung. Beautiful worship this morning. This time, uh, kids are already heading out, ages four to six, children's church. They can either go out that door and around, or they can come out this door, which way or the other. But as long as they get there for children's church, ages four to six, they got a couple coming, so y'all be ready. All right. Y'all, y'all behave. My wife's in there today. She, she won't tell me. <laughs> More like y'all make sure she behaves, right? Okay. All right. It's safe. Coast is clear. All right. <laughs> Nobody tell her. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. Last week we began looking at, at the month of October, we got five Sundays, so I'm giving you five sermons on the foundations of faith. I believe it is absolutely and critically important for us to return back to the foundations. We like the frills and the thrills, but we need the foundations for everything else to stand on. I believe the reason why the church in America and and even our own personal lives at times are so weak and, and, and so frail and, and so disproportionate at times with, with the way that our sin is and the way that our flesh goes, it's because we have left the foundations. We must keep the main things the main things. The moment the main things aren't the main things, then we're way out of line. And we're way out of whack. We need these foundations. And, and today I want to read for us verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. And to be honest with you, Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10 is a month of preaching by itself. But I'm not going to do that to you today. Another month, all right? (laughs) Y'all can laugh. It's all right. You'll get through it. The verses 1 through 10 today is really going to be our springboard for understanding today's next foundation of faith, grace alone. Grace alone. It is by grace alone that you are saved. It is by grace alone that you are kept saved. And it is by grace alone that one day you will be in that same heaven that we've just sung about and see that same God who, who sent His Son Jesus, who outstretched His arms on that wicked and cruel cross of Calvary, bled and died and became your sin. Did not just pay for your sin, but became your sin. We'll get to be there. By grace alone. We have missed what that really means. Today, let us read verse number 1. And you hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I'm going to pause right there. If you're lost, God is not your father. He's not. You're not magically bought into the fame of God because you're just a, you know, I try to be sincere, I go to church, and not again. You are not a part of his family until you have been adopted, and you are not adopted into his family until you have repented of your sins and trusted Christ alone. That's it. Before then, you were a child of wrath. Wicked, vile. He's not your father. The devil is. And the one that you worship is not God, even though you might go to church. The one that you worship is yourself. You are your own God. Verse number four, perhaps two of the sweetest, most grand, most theological, most practical words in all of the Bible. But God. 
That's where everything changes. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. That makes it pretty simple. And hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, and that not of yourselves, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank You for the reading of Your Word. God, I thank You for the song sung this morning. Such wonderful truth to sing about. And God, I pray that, Lord, that, that each heart that is in this place today, Lord, I pray that You would open it up as Your Word is open. And God, that You would pour into us what we need. Lord, if there's one today who is lost and undone, who does not have assurance of their salvation, or, or have forgiveness of their sins, that today, by Your grace alone, that You would save them, that You would draw them, that, that they would be leaving this place today saved because of what You've done today. Lord, if there's someone today who's just struggling with sin, struggling with their walk with You, that they might come back to the conclusion and the reality and the foundation that it is all of grace today. God, help us. Lord, clear my heart and my mind today. Oh, Lord, it's everywhere today. God, please Lord, I ask for, it, for your help, for your guidance, for your strength, for your direction today, and Lord, for your hand to be upon us. Lord, open up my mouth that you might speak in me and through me today. God, give us what we need. In Christ's name, amen. As we look at the month of October, there are those who look at October 31st and circle it and say, trick or treat and smell my feet, right? They're excited for it. They're ready to go and dress up and go get candy and all that stuff. I don't need an excuse to eat candy, okay? Right? It's just another day, but when I look at that calendar, I, I see the day that a German monk nailed 95 theses to the castle church door of, in Wittenberg, Germany, and began what would be known as the Reformation. Now, you might not be Reformed today, and that's perfectly fine. I want you to know this, though. It began a return to what these foundations are, and that is the Scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And that's where we're going, that's where we're headed. Unless we have those foundations, then nothing else matters. I can give you all the practical things in the world, all the self-help and psychology and, and philosophy about how to live a good life and how to be moral, but unless you have those, you've got nothing to stand on. You've got nothing to build upon. And what happened is during that day, Martin Luther was his name, did such a thing because the church of Rome, the, the Roman Catholic church who ruled the world, mind you, and killed anyone who disagreed with him, and, and, uh, and countless who died, by them, but nevertheless, they were selling indulgences. And what an indulgence was, was an extra little way to pay some money and to buy your way into heaven. It would be getting your uh, get-out-of-jail-free card by paying X amount of money, by paying for these things, these little trinkets and these little things that cannot just give you the ordinary grace that you've got, but to give you some extra grace because you bought and paid for it. I want you to know, if you bought and paid for grace, it's not grace. Take it back. Get, get your refund. Because if you buy it, if you give anything to your salvation, it's not salvation. You don't have a real deal salvation. Today, it is my hope, it is my prayer that today we would return to what it means to get to this root of by grace alone. 
Unfortunately, I would say today this, and, and you might not like it, and I don't either, but most Baptists who claim to be Bible-believing practice and believe more like the Roman Catholic Church of the 1500s than they do what the Bible actually teaches. What I mean by that is they say, well, I, I'm a deacon, or I'm a leader, or I, I've served in this way for this many years and this many times. I've got 38 different ties, and I wear them all in order, and I, I help out with this, and I do that, and I'm here every time. And preacher, you don't even know how much money I give here. I don't care. I don't want to know. God don't care neither, by the way. It's by grace. If your salvation and why you are saved and why you should enter through the pearly gates of heaven and walk the streets of gold has anything to do or starts with, I did blank, and it's all wrong. It is by grace alone. When we sing songs of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, we forget that we're the wretch the song is talking about. We also forget that we're the ones that were blind but now see. And we forget that it's not our works that bring us to, from being blind to being able to see or, or from being lost, being found. That it is all of God's grace. Your heartbeat right now is the act of God's grace. It's not because you're in peak health condition. It's not because you ate some kale or a salad this week either. Eat a salad every now and again, right? Take a walk. I don't know. But your heartbeat, the breath in your lungs, the clothes on your back, the padded pews that we've got, it is all of God's grace. We must not cease to be amazed at His amazing grace, but for some strange reason, we sing it and go through the motions and we miss the amazing part about grace because we forget who we are and who God was. And as we come to Ephesians 2, I want us to address why grace is still amazing. And you have He quickened. The word quicken is where we get to breathe life into, regeneration. It's salvation. It's not, and you have He called to go to church and to check off these boxes and to be a good person or to turn over a new leaf or to try real hard or to be real sincere. He said, and you hath he quickened. Not you quickened. He quickened you. He breathed life into you. And he says, and this is our past, and this is why our sinful condition shows us how amazing grace is. You can sing amazing grace all day long, but if you don't know why it's amazing, then it's not amazing. It's amazing because you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were not just born sin sick with a little cough. You were born dead in sins and trespasses. You know what dead means here? I'm going to give you a, a lesson here in, in the Greek language. Dead here means stinking, rotten, dead. A corpse. If it's dead, that means there's no life in it. There's no breath in it. And so when we're saved, he breathes life into a dead corpse, and that's why we were lost and found blind. Now he's seeing we go from death unto life, and we are a new creature, a new creation in Christ. It is never, has been, never will be, and certainly not right now in this hour, and you were only sick, or you weren't that bad, or you were born good and society made you bad. If everyone's born good, how does society get bad? It wouldn't. Society's bad because people are bad. Those who are alive in Christ today were once dead in trespasses and sins, but God, and praise God, that that's not who we are anymore. We are raised to a newness of life. We're raised to live for Christ. We're raised and have eternal life. 
that we're longing and looking forward to. And even as Ephesians 2 tells us here, that we're already seated in heavenly places. You might not get along with one another in this church, but if you're both in Christ, and one day you're going to. So you better suck it up and get used to it now. How about this? How about what if we realized the fact that the reason why anyone else that would be saved in this room, and that they're not so far from God to, 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 that He can't save them. We sometimes think that, oh, well, I've never done X, Y, and Z sin, or I've never done X, Y, and Z inside the church, so therefore they must not be saved, or they can't be saved. But God's grace alone. Because everyone was in the same boat here. And it's an even level playing field here. But there's no privilege here. It's you all were dead in trespasses and sins. I have this for you today. I want you to get this. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We're born that way. Now, today in children's church, today's lesson, what if I told you, parents, that today they're going to teach your kids how to lie? Right? You're probably going to go get your kid, aren't you? At least I'd hope, right? And we're going to fire the help, right? <coughs> we don't have to teach them that. Why? They already know how. You don't have to teach anybody how to lie. You don't teach anybody how to steal. You don't teach anybody how to uh, create idols of the heart. Why? Because we have a sinful nature. We are fallen in our nature. If you think you're good today, I hope that right now you understand that you are flat not. And if you think you're good, go ahead and stand up and tell the rest of us about how good you are. We'd love to hear. Because the Bible is going to look at you and tell you, no, you're not. But in this passage, we find that the, the truth is not just bad news, that we're not good, that we're dead in sins and trespasses, but it's by God who is rich in mercy, saves us by His grace. We're going to see what this means today. We need to get a hold of it. What sin means, by the way, is missing the mark. It is missing the goal of the standard of God. How many of you have kept all the Ten Commandments your whole life? All right, we'll try again. How many of you have kept five your whole life? Just five out of ten. That's not bad. 50-50. How about you've kept one your whole life never, ever, 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 ever broken it? Baloney! Nobody. Not one of us. Nor could we ever. There is only one his name is Jesus, who is God in the flesh. He is fully God, fully man. Only he alone fulfilled the law because he is the one that gave the law. Only he can fulfill it because he is the epitome of walking grace and love and mercy. Only he alone can faithfully obey it. You can't obey it. I can't obey it. That's why Christ has come. And furthermore, trespasses. It has the idea to slip away or to fall from the way. So when we read, and you who are dead and trespasses and sins, it's giving us no hope whatsoever about our sinful past, our sinful condition. And if that's who you used to be, and it's not who you are now, then praise God and sing amazing grace like you mean it. If that's who you are, if you've been saved from that, then shouldn't we understand how good God's grace is? Absolutely we should. I want to turn here to Romans 5 for just a moment. Romans chapter 5 tells us this in verse number 12. If you want proof that you were born dead in sins and trespasses. Romans 5 gives it to us. In verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Who's that one man? The first Adam. Adam in the Garden of Eden, in a perfect condition, in a perfect place, with a perfect God who perfectly walks with him, and he's got one rule and can't even keep it. If you think you could keep ten, Adam could keep one. And it says, by his sin. Sin entered into the world. And death by sin. 
And so death passed upon all men for that all of sin. What does that mean? We're all born sinners and we're all born going to die. So there's a couple guarantees in life. You're going to be born, which means you're going to die. And because you're born, you're going to be sinful and you need a savior. You cannot save yourself. You cannot be good enough. You cannot go to church enough. You cannot serve in church enough. It is by God's grace. Now I would pray that today, if there's one who has been in church so long that they have forgotten that that's why they're saved, or, or if they're still betting on their own good works or their own things that they've done in church, that today God's grace would absolutely crush them and build them back up and save them. Verse 13 tells us, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, uh, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, who also is the free gift, the free gift. For if through the offense is of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by one, excuse me, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned in the death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. If you want proof that Ephesians is right, it's right there. The very first man, the federal head of all humanity, in him sin comes because he sins, we are all then born sinners. How do I know? His first kids, the one kills the other. Cain kills Abel. But we see that sin is there and has always been there since the very first sin. And because sin is there, death comes. And that means that we're all born dead in our sin and that because of our sin, we will all one day be dead. You guessed it. And as we look at this, though, in that passage, the beautiful picture is that the one man came and brought sin and death and disobedience, but the second Adam has come. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He fulfilled the law. He kept the law. He willingly laid down his life as a propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath for your sins and mine. And that all who would trust in him, that through him and by his grace, you would go from dead to life, from uh, from all of these sinful, wicked things that are against us to now. We are free, not by what we've done, but by what he has done. The cross is a picture, not just of love and sacrifice, but it is the most beautiful picture of grace. It is a free gift. It is a free gift that is, it is uh, dealt with here. And as we look, I want to go back to Ephesians 2. You want to see some more about who we used to be? You see, it is grace alone that gives life to a dead man. He says, where in times past 
Ye walked. In times past, ye walked. That's your manner of life, your manner of living. How you lived your life and how you thought, how you acted, everything that you did. Your whole motivation, all of your motivation, everything about you went according to the course of this world. Now, that doesn't mean that you just lived the world, but it means you lived the way of the world. What the world did, you did. What the world loved, you loved. Now, that you loved the ways of the world, the things of this world. And we're not called to do such anymore, that those that are in Christ. He then says as well, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Who is that? It's the devil himself. He says you followed after the way of the world, and you followed after the devil himself, and you listened to him, you served him, you served the world, and he not only did that, but you served your flesh, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Before Christ, we are bound and held captive to the word, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And now, those of us who are in Christ, we are now bound to something far greater. We are bound to the Word of God, kept by the Spirit of God, and held fast by His grace. We not lose track in sight of this. We were held captive to the world, held captive to our own flesh, held captive even to the devil, before the grace of God, as we're about to see, snatched us out and breathed life into our dead spiritual bodies. Verse number 4. Here's where grace comes in. See, grace comes in in the time where we need it most. Grace comes in, and the love of God comes in, as we see, bringing it out. Romans 5.8 tells us that, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here he says the same thing. But God. But God shows us that there is hope. It shows us that there's possibility of salvation. That there is no salvation outside of God who steps in and, and saves us. Could you imagine where your life would be right now if the grace of God did not save you? It's the old saying, if it wasn't for the grace of God, there go I. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd be the drunk in the ditch. I'd be in jail. I'd be the one cursing his name. I'd be the one against him. I'd be dead. Not just physically, but, but spiritually still yet dead. Separated from Him. Uh, unforgiven. Not having assurance of Him. Not having fellowship with Him. Having no joy. Having no peace. Having no hope in this world. And I would ask you, dear church member, dear church goer, why would that still be you today? Why would you live in such a state? The grace of God is there as a free gift. Will you receive it today? Will you this moment His grace receive? But God who is rich in mercy. That phrase right there is so wonderful. It doesn't just show that he has some mercy, but that he's rich in it. Now, what do we call, what do we say about rich people? You might say a lot of things. What we say about rich people, they got a lot of money, right? They have an abundance of it. They have an abundance of riches. So when it says that, but God who is rich in mercy, that means he's got all the mercy that there is. The Bible tells us that his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. How long does His mercy endure? Forever. His mercy is everlasting. I want to look here. Grace and mercy go hand in hand. So today we're talking about grace alone, but grace alone is also tagline with mercy. Where grace is, mercy is there as well. The grace of God is unmerited favor. It is given. It is something that is unearned or undeserved. It is being given what is not deserved. It is what I like to call a birthday present. 
A birthday present. You think about this. Why do you give a birthday present to somebody? You want to say, hey, congratulations. Wait, good work this year. You stayed alive for a whole year. Here's your gift. Way to go. You earned this, man. Pat on the back for you. You don't do you. You give it because you love that person. It's not deserved. And now when you give that gift, they have the option of opening it and going, ooh, this is so nice. Thank you so much. I'll try to do this again next year. Right? We think this is an all of grace, the fact that we made it another year, but it is a gift. A gift that is given that nothing was deserved of it. Nothing was earned. It was not. God didn't look down and say, you know what? They, I bet they're going to be a pretty good person. I'll give them some, some grace here. No, grace comes to those who don't deserve it. Grace comes to those who have no hope, to those who have no future. Grace comes to each person in this room today. Grace is upon the life of every living, breathing soul today. If you're alive today, it's all of grace. How about mercy, though? <clears throat> Whereas grace is given what is not deserved, mercy is then having something withheld that is deserved. So God giving us His grace is Him giving us His Son, giving us love and joy, giving us salvation. It is also an act of, of mercy that is withholding us the wrath that we do deserve. Because let me ask you this. If we were dead in sins and trespasses, who did we sin and trespass against? We sin and trespass against a holy and a righteous God. And the reason why we don't think of grace is so amazing anymore is because we forget who God is and who we are. We have ceased to remember His holiness, His righteousness, His beauty, His, His wonder. We've lost the awe of who God is. We've thought far too highly of ourselves, and now when we come to a passage like this, we're reminded of who we are, and we hear, but God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. He loved us, though we did not deserve it. He gave grace when we did not deserve it or earn it, because we cannot. And he gave His mercy. One modern-day hymn sings, He bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. All that we have in our life is that of grace. And I would ask you this, is that grace still amazing to you today? I'm not talking about just words or lip service saying, oh yes, it's amazing. I'm asking our hearts today, is the grace of God still so amazing that when we hear the words, sing the words, read the words, know the words, when we read the word of God and we know the word of God and we feel and know that this is real and that this is all because of who God is and what He has done for me. And I've contributed nothing to my salvation except for the sin which made it necessary. That's it. The only thing you gave in your salvation is the fact that you needed to be saved because of your sin and trespasses against God. It is by God's grace alone that you are saved. You didn't add, it wasn't 99.9% .9 grace and the rest was you. It was all of grace, or it was all of you, one or the other. And it wasn't of us. Because we were dead in sins and trespasses. We were enemies of God. We were children of the devil, uh, bound to the world, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But God steps in. What is so amazing about this grace? As he says here, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace your saved. What is so amazing about this grace is that while we were against Him, He was for us. While we were going contrary to His word, He was drawing us into Himself. While we were sinful and full and wicked to the core, He still loved us and gave grace and mercy.
Not only did he do that, but he saved us by his grace and he raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that he gave us Christ and that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And we come to the famous verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why does he reiterate this over and over and over again to drive home that it is all of grace or it's not real salvation? Today, if your testimony sounds like this of, well, you know what? I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was four and went to VBS. And I got a little wild when I was a teenager, but, you know, I, I left church for a while and I'm back in church and, and, and that's it. I, I try my best. I try real hard and I try to give as much as I can. It's wrong. It's not about what I've done. We cannot look and say based upon anything, I did this, I did that. It is, he did this. He did it. Either God, by His grace, accomplished your salvation, or it's not yet been accomplished, and you must be saved today. How would you be saved? By simply turning from your sins and accepting this free gift of grace, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, putting your hope, your trust, your faith in Him alone. By grace are you saved through faith. Grace gives life when there was only death. Grace gives freedom when there was only bondage. Grace gives hope when there was only wrath. Grace gives unity with God and one another when there was only separation. It is grace alone that gives us our salvation, our sanctification, which is our security and our outworking of our salvation, and one day our glorification. That's getting us to heaven. It is grace in the past, the present, and the future. It is not just saving grace, it's sustaining grace. It's not just amazing grace, it's abounding grace. It is a gift. Today, have you received it? Do you even know what I'm talking about? The grace of God today. May our hearts turn to see what this means. To receive this gift, not to abuse this gift of grace, as we would have kept reading in Romans 5, going into Romans 6. He says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? What? Because we had just read in the end of chapter 5 that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So therefore, I could live how I want because God's grace is there. Uh, wrong. Rather, because we're saved by God's grace, it's God's grace that keeps us from sin. It's God's grace that draws us from sin. And the grace of God for the believer should be far more alluring than the things of this world. The grace of God is a gift of grace. Grace, faith, and even Christ Himself are all the gift of God. There is no work, no merit to earn it, or else it ceases to be grace. Thank God that I'm saved by grace and not by works. If I was saved by works, I wouldn't be here. Wouldn't be saved, nor would I be preaching today. Turn with me to this applying grace. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Last week we dealt with the issue of understanding what it means, Scripture alone, and then we turned to see the it played out with the people in Nehemiah's day and calling out to Ezra to bring the book. We want the book alone, the Scripture alone. This week, we turn to Calvary's Hill. I want you to see what grace looks like, because I want you to know this, that today, if you were at Calvary and I was at Calvary on the day that Christ was crucified, it would not be I who says, guys, don't do it, he's really good. It would have been us who would have been a part of the crowd who said, crucify him, crucify him. 
It would have been us who would, just as we're about to read, would have walked by and shaken our heads and wagged our tongues at him and cursed him as he died. As he not just died, but died for me and died for them. The same Jesus that died that day did not die for the righteous because there are none. He did not die for the spiritual because there are none. He died for the ones who would drive the nails into his feet and to his wrists. The same ones that drove the crown of thorns upon his brow and spat upon him and mocked him and ridiculed him and pulled out his beard. And yes, Jesus had a beard. The same one that he died for the same ones as blood flowed and that they would look at him and say, if you're really God, if you're really the Savior, then save yourself and save us too. And that's who he died for. Luke 23, verse 32. And they were also two other male factors lived with him to be put to death. And they were come to the place which is called Calvary. They were crucified. There they crucified him. And the male factors, one on the right and the other on the left. The crucifixion process was brutal. It was gruesome. It was bloody. It was not a decorative cross. It was not a beautiful cross. It was a rugged cross made of literally just trees put together that could hold a man they would dig a hole about 18 inches deep. They would not only beat this person to death, and most people didn't even make it to the cross before death. And they would get nailed to this cross. They would be lifted up and dropped into the hole, which would then in turn cause excruciating pain, but bring bones out of joint and socket, which causes even that much more pain. You're nailed to this cross, and in order to breathe, you have to put all this weight and pressure on your back heels to try to lift up to breathe to get oxygen to your lungs. All the while, you're scraping up open wounds from the back of this cross that are reopening. Blood is flowing. Blood is pouring. You're, in Jesus' life, he's got a crowd of thorns. There are those who are mocking you. You're literally naked and bare open before the world, and you're going to be held there until you die, either of exhaustion, blood loss, your heart will give out, your lungs will give out. You are going to die. But if you're being crucified, you deserve it. But yet for Jesus... He is innocent. He is not guilty. He is the sinless one. He is the perfect one. He is the holy one of God. And yet here he is standing condemned. He's standing condemned for you and I. Jesus' response in verse 34 then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding and the rulers also with him derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. This man is mocking him. This man is dying too. And this man on this side, in his dying breaths, in his dying minutes, as he too is bleeding and dying and knowing that he's going to die and he knows he deserves it because he's a thief. He's a male factor. He's, he's one who has uh, not only probably committed thievery, but as well committed violence in the act of doing so against Rome. More than likely, it's that of treason or that of an uprising, especially during this time of Passover. He's being put to death, and, uh, being put to death and, and he deserves it. He deserves the nails. He deserves to die. He deserves the punishment. The capital punishment is being given to him. 
And in his dying breaths, he doesn't cry out to God for mercy. What he does is instead he looks over at the Son of God, God in the flesh, and says, if you really are him, save yourself and save us too. Like somehow he deserved it. This man doesn't know God, nor does he want God. He wants out of his situation. There's no getting out of his situation. He deserves it. These are those who are born dead in sins and trespasses and remain in such a state because they are literally in the presence of God's free gift and won't accept it. I want us to look there on the other side of the cross today. This man on this side, same situation. He's dying too. He knows he's dying. He's experiencing death. He smells death. He feels death. And he knows he deserves death. Look at what happens here. Verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. What is that? It's acknowledging his own sin. Acknowledging that he is dead and sins and trespass, and he's just a dead man on a tree. That he deserves it. He says, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Today, I want you to look up here and I want you to understand, if your salvation, if you got what you deserved and you thought that God was going to give you what you deserved, it would be hell in this moment. None of us would be here. This floor would open up and we would be in hell right now and forever and forever. That's what we deserve. God is just. And God is gracious and merciful, though. And in God's justice, He pours out His wrath. He pours out His anger. And He pours out the punishment for your sins and mine upon His Son there, the man on the middle cross. The picture and grace incarnate. He says, this man had done nothing amiss. And He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me and thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus says, verse 43, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. If you want to know what grace is, it's that. All three up there are dying. The two on the other side of Jesus both deserve it. The one admits it here. He says, how can you curse God? We're receiving the just due of our rewards. Matter of fact, the Bible still says, for the wages of sin is death. But it also still says, but the gift of God, which is grace, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And there is this man is dying. This man is dying and he says, simply remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. This man Saved by grace alone. This man never went to a Bible study. He wasn't a deacon. He wasn't a Sunday school teacher. He didn't help out with this ministry and that ministry. In fact, he was a crook and he knew it. He had no righteous merit. He had not one good deed. He had no church membership. He had no perfect doctrinal statement. He had no baptism. He had nothing but grace. It said on many a uh, gospel track, if you were to die today, why, why, why would you be led into heaven? What would you have to say? 
Now, first of all, the Bible never tells us that when we get to the pearly gates, after we die, that we have to give an account and say, well, you should let me in because of, we don't have to have a passport, absent from the body, present with the Lord for those who are in Christ. Praise God for that. If you had to give an answer and it would look something like the other man who said, well, I tried real hard, I wasn't as bad as so-and-so, it's wrong. If it looks like I did this or I did that, or if you were to be questioned there at the gates of saying, why should I let you in? And you could say, I don't know. If this guy could say anything, it would be, I don't know. He's got no reason on his own merit or his own good works or anything that he's ever done in his life that would say that he could enter into the kingdom of God. But yet the moment that this man died, he was ushered into the kingdom of God. As he died with the king himself. All of grace. How did he make it? Why did he make it? What could he possibly say? I would ask you today, how will you make it? What could you say? Nothing. It's not recorded in Scripture, but I sure wish it would tell us what he would have said the moment he entered in to the kingdom. And saints of old who have been there, and they see him, they say, well, there's Jesus. And, but who's that other guy? How'd you get here? What made you so special? How did you die the same way that he died and you got here too because you deserved it? But what do you got to say for yourself? How can you enter in? How can you come? And all he can say, all that he could ever respond, all that you and I today can ever respond is the man on the middle cross said I can come. By grace alone. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. All we have is grace to save our souls. Today I want to share for you this hymn written in the mid-1800s by a Scottish man. The title is Not What These Hands Have Done. Not What My Hands Have Done Can Save My Guilty Soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease the weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to Thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. Thy grace alone, O God, to me can, can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. No other work save Thine, no other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. I bless the Christ of God. I rest on love divine. And with unfaltering lip and heart I call this Savior mine. His cross dispels each doubt I bury in His tomb. Each thought of unbelief and fear each lingering shade of gloom. I praise the God of grace. I trust His truth and might. He calls me His. I call Him mine, my God, my joy, my light. Tis He who saveth me and freely pardon gives. I love because He loveth me. I live because He lives. Today is by grace alone.
As we're about to have a time of invitation, if you don't know Christ as Savior, if you've got every excuse in the book and you've come to the realization now that it's not going to cut the mustard when you stand before God, today, would you accept that free gift of grace and simply cry out to the Lord, remember me. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, a sinner. Call upon His name and He shall save you today. You will go from death to life, from blind to sight. And you can say what this hymn says and believe and experience the same thing that thief from that cross experienced, that when you die, you'll be with your Lord. To the rest of you who know Christ, but that grace has seemed a little dull or a little less amazing, today hear those words. Hear and see and look to Calvary what has happened. That the man who was saved, who was dying and deserved it, he was called into the kingdom of God not because he was good, not because he was baptized, not because he had of any worth on his own, but all of grace. What could be more amazing than that? Today as this piano plays, let's all stand. And if you have a need, come. I believe that if you come this morning, where you're going to find at this altar is not the God of wrath, but the God of grace, who will freely bestow it to all who believe. Will you come today? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. I thank you for the souls who have come, come to experience and receive your grace. God, your grace has been offered today through your power, through your word. 
God, today, if there's one who needs to be saved, Lord, I pray that don't leave this place undone. God, that you would deal with their hearts, that they would make business with you as you make business with them. God, help us to be amazed by your grace and to go from this place to be gracious one to another, to reclaim the truth of your grace, and Lord, that we would stand on the truth, the scripture alone, the grace alone. God, you are good and gracious. May we be reminded of it. May we praise you for it. We love you and thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, remain standing. and We'll close with this hymnal here. We will glorify the King. He deserves all glory and honor. Our Savior, our Lord. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before His throne. We will worship Him. Yes. Mm-hmm.